Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome into episode 13 of the Landscape Photography Show. I'm your host, David Johnson. Today on the podcast, we do have a really special guest. Sean Bagshaw is joining us on the podcast today, and Sean has been honestly instrumental in my progression as a landscape photographer, not only watching things like his YouTube videos or reading his blogs or a lot of the photo cascadia blogs that he links to on social media a lot of the time but just his willingness to help photographers and just his kindness his generosity giving his time i really want to thank sean for coming on the podcast and talking photography but in this discussion we have a lot of really interesting topics that come up number one i think the biggest takeaway from this is just how everything kind of stems off of the art of exploration, both good and problematic. Because in this episode, we talk about how you can find creativity through exploration. But also, secondly, we talk about some of the problems that are occurring with the mass public off of exploration and sharing photos and sharing fragile location. So without further ado, let's get into this meaty episode on landscape photography with Sean Bagshaw. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We are here with Sean Bagshaw. Sean, thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, We've talked in the past, but for getting everybody up to speed with kind of how you got started in landscape photography, maybe answer the question of why you chose landscape photography. Right on, David. Yeah. Hey, it's great to be here. Great to be back. I always have a good time chatting with you. So um, why I got started in landscape photography um, is a great question. I um, I got started in photography not because of photography. My thing was in in my 20s in college, I re- and actually even before that when I was growing up, I was just really kind of interested in the idea of adventure and getting out in the landscape and going places and exploring. You know, I wanted to be like a, like a, um, like a Hillary or a Shackleton or something like that. And so when I was in college, that's what I was doing. I was learning how to rock climb. I was starting to climb mountains. I was mountain biking, kayaking, just having experiences in the outdoors Um, but I also realized that I enjoy storytelling and sharing and that kind of stuff. So I started taking photos just to document the things that myself and my friends were doing. Uh, and then I would trap whoever I could in a dark room with my slide projectors back in the film days, you know, and make them watch my slides for hours on end until they wanted to, you know, shoot themselves, I'm sure. But cruel uh, and unusual punishment. Yeah, exactly. But that was that was my motivation. Um, but then once I started taking the photographs um, and documenting the trips, no artistry at all, just pure documentation, I realized, wow, I, I enjoy the photography itself. And I also realized that what I was so excited about the adventures. A lot of it was these visual experiences that I was having. 
and not only just the visual experience, but kind of the whole complete holistic experience of the adventure, the sometimes, you know, the element of risk, the weather, the visual stuff, the, the, you know, the effort that was put into it. So trying to kind of uh, condense all of that experience into a single two-dimensional photo became a really interesting project for me. And then pretty soon it became all about the photography uh, and less about, I mean, it's still about the experiences, but um, now I go out specifically to take photographs. And that's been actually the thing for probably the last 20 years or so. So that's why I got into photography. It was actually not about photography in the beginning. When you go out now, though, and, and you look back on that experience of why you got started, do you kind of call back some of those feelings and emotions of, of when you first started and, and kind of integrate that into what you know now and kind of what your expertise is in photography is now? Absolutely. Uh, photography for me is still really about the experience. And that's, again, I think why landscape photography and travel photography is what speaks to me. Hmm. Because, um, you know, if cameras disappeared, if we went through some sort of weird time warp and cameras never were invented, um, I would still be doing all the exact same things, going out, exploring, adventuring, trying to see new places and have cool experiences that meant something to me. Um, and that so that's really where my motivation is and the ability to take a camera and capture elements of those experiences and then, you know, develop that, put my own kind of vision and uh, what my experience was into the image and then share that with other people to hopefully try to communicate some of what it means to me to be out in the, in the landscape. Um, yeah, that's still what my photography is about. It's less about what images you know I end up with um, or any particular goal in the photography, and more about just getting out and having the experience. And then the photo, you know, the the photographs come from that. Yeah, I, I want to read the tweet that you actually tweeted out this morning. Uh, you can follow Sean at Sean Bagshaw on Twitter if you want to. And it's a quote from William Thackeray, and it says, the two most engaging powers of a photograph are to make new things familiar and familiar things new. To you, sharing that, what, what does that mean to you? Well, I think, you know, that, that really boils down photography for me into one simple sentence. And that's from actually an article that uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Adrian Klein, uh, an article that he wrote on the Photo Cascadia blog, where he has got a whole bunch of really great and inspirational photography quotes. So check out that the whole article, which is that's what I was linking to uh, on uh, mm -hmm. Twitter. But anyway, um, yeah, I think really I, that one stood out to me because of how it does boil down the essence of photography, you know, making new things familiar. So that gets back to that idea of, you know, adventure and exploration for me going out. Um, and having, you know, going to a place I've never been before, maybe going to a place that is a little bit challenging or has an element of risk, uh, has an element of adventure, 
that's the motivation behind the photograph, but then to be able to bring that photograph and show it to people who maybe will never have that experience, who will never go to that place or go through the effort or take the risk or, or whatever it is. Um, so that's one great piece. But the other great piece is, and it was, I was <laughs> as we were talking about, I was listening to your interview with, uh, with Sarah Marino, and she was talking about, you know, f- photographing kind of smaller, more intimate scenes. And I think that's a great thing too, is to, you know, show up in a landscape and to be able to find some small piece of that landscape that we all are very familiar with. We probably walk by without considering on a, on a daily basis and to be able to distill a a photograph out of those smaller scenes and show it to people in a way that even though they've seen it a million times is like they're seeing it for the first time. Is that difficult to do? That is really difficult to do. I think, uh, you know, that may be the more difficult thing to do. I think going to a place that's new and whether it's new to just you or whether it's new to everybody, although there's not that many places on the planet anymore that are new Mm -hmm. to everybody, but going to someplace new and creating a photograph that can make it, you know, feel familiar uh, or at least relatable is to me, I think easier than taking something that's ordinary or common or well-known and presenting it in a way that, that is new to people that makes them see it like they've never seen it before, or, um, you know, think about it in, in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise. That is very challenging. Is there a way like, I know I've gone through things in landscape photography where I like, didn't even want to pick up a camera and go out and shoot anything. And, and, it was, it's like a creative block. Um, and, and I think everybody through the progression of creativity and, and landscape photography experiences goes through it at some point. Is there a way that you can go out into the field, whether you're going to familiar or unfamiliar and rejuvenate that creative drive in landscape photography? Boy, that's a that's a big and deep, it's meaty. That's a big and deep topic. Um, I'm sure we could spend days. You, know, you have a whole seminar <laughs> conference just on that topic. But I think, I mean, I, different people work in different ways. I think some people are very conceptual, and so they get motivated by you know from inside their brain having uh, coming up with ideas and concepts, and then going out and trying to execute on those concepts. Uh, and so. I'm not one of those people, so I don't know what the motivation is in coming up with new concepts like that because I'm really not conceptual. I'm very visual and experiential. So for me, the motivation and what keeps me going is just going out, just getting out there. uh, And then once I'm out there, just trying things and being okay with trying and failing and just experimenting, trying lots of different things, not being tied to any one particular photo that, you know, I'm going out to make photo X and I'm only going to focus on photo X and I'm not going to be happy till I get photo X. Um, I I do it very differently. I walk around, I just look and, and observe and try different things. I'll try small scenes. I'll try big scenes. I'll try different perspectives. And uh, hopefully when I get home, there's something in there that that worked. Um, And also, I think part of it for me is being okay with not being motivated sometimes. Uh, I'll go months 
at times two, three months without taking a photograph or going out to photograph and being okay with that. Cause I think when you really try to force it or push it, that's when those blocks, at least for me can happen. When I feel like, okay, I must go out and make photographs every day or every week or whatever the schedule supposedly is. Um, yeah, I think being okay with not photographing for a while when I do feel it and go out to photograph, I, I find that I'm rarely not motivated. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of like the idea that a lot of people have of, of if you're a photographer, you're ne- you're going out every day for sunrise, you're staying out for sunset, like, right. Do you kind of get that feeling? Yeah. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you're feeling that and that's, you've got the time and, uh, and the motivation, yeah, ride that wave. But I also think to try to force it is what, creates a lot of anxiety and disappointment. And uh, even I'll, I'll say depression. I've seen people uh, I've, I've run across who are just in a full on funk because they want to be taking photographs and yet they don't feel it. Why do we go through creative slumps? Huh? Boy, you're asking the big questions here. <laughs> questions um, of life, Sean. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the psychology of that, again, uh, you know, I'm no psychologist. I think for me, it's just everything cyclical. Uh, I find that it's not just creativity, but, you know, what I what I eat and how well I eat, how much I exercise, whether I read books or not, whether I, you know, feel like staying up late watching movies or whether I'm going to bed early. I mean, all of those kinds of things. I feel like I go through these cycles in my life. And as long as I'm okay with riding those cycles and, and letting it flow with whatever, you know, happens to be at that moment, uh, then I'm okay with it. It's when I start fighting against that, that it feels like a slump, I guess. Yeah. When you go through those periods, do you feel like going through them and kind of working through them, whether that's not picking up your camera, like you said, or trying something new, has that in the past helped you develop your own creative style within photography? Yeah, I would say probably to an extent, I would say, because I think the thing is the other part of that, of going through slumps, but writing, you know, writing the cycles is being interested in lots of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So that when you're on maybe on a, you know, a down cycle on, feeling like uh, you have some creative inspiration for photography, you might be on an up cycle on developing, or you might be on an up cycle on exploring or uh, reading and learning or, you know, something else. So I think that's how I am. I mean, I'm never bored and I, I never feel like I'm in a slump because when I'm not doing something, I'm doing something else that's got me completely engaged. Mm-hmm. And I think, that sort of a constant rotation of different elements is, is maybe how you get well-rounded. Um, you know, that that's what helps develop. And, and when you asked about style, I think maybe helps develop my style too, because um, a lot of my photography isn't born out of um, just trying to shoot something no matter what, you know, I, I kind of wait for the times when the inspiration comes 
And so, yeah, I think my photographs are a little more selective, um, but the ones that I do take, I feel pretty good about. Is that how you would define your style, like selective or, or what is your style? I think I, I've definitely become more selective, I think, over time. Um, I used to, you know, be motivated to go out and shoot all the time and photograph anything. You know, I'd photograph the bark on the trees in my backyard just so I could be out with a camera. And I probably in some ways it's sad I don't do that anymore because some good stuff came out of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I would say my style is, you know, it gets back to that experience piece of my style is based around, um, am I doing something that was compelling to me? And did I have an experience that motivated me to point a camera at it? That's part of the style. Um, and I think what comes from that style, even though I'm, a, I'm big into developing and creative expression in photography, I think in the end, a lot of my photographs, especially compared to kind of all the possibilities that are out there these days, I think my photographs feel maybe closer to realism uh, to a lot of people than, than some of what we see out there, which is funny because it used to be the opposite. Earlier on, I was the guy kind of pushing the boundaries of creative developing in Photoshop, you know, 20 years ago when that was a new thing. And my, my photos were considered kind of out on the fringe and maybe not realistic. And now it's funny, I think I get the feedback the other way that people comment like, oh yeah, your photos feel really true and real. Not because I'm trying to do that, but more because I'm trying to communicate what the experience felt like to me when I was there and what I want other people to, you know, kind of share in with me. So, you know, adding in a sky that wasn't there or adding in light or um, clouds or, you know, that kind of stuff or distorting the perspective to a way that really, you know, wasn't my experience is something I'm less likely to do. Not because I have anything against it, just because my style, I think, is to try to communicate how it felt to me. Which has been kind of the more difficult style you said kind of pushing the boundary or realism looking back and and comparing the two is there a difference there in terms of the difficulty is that yeah for you and, and personal creativity like is it more difficult to do one over the other well i think personal well Again, I, I feel like I'm, I'm uh, you know, pushing a lot of my photos pretty far. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to what's possible and where people have taken it, um, I think, again, that comes back to me not being very conceptual. Okay. Uh, you know, so I think I there's all kinds of great potential that, you know, that exists for creating an image um, that is somewhat comes from your imagination or comes from a concept uh, and using the elements of the photograph that was taken, but really kind of pushing it past that. Um, and that's difficult for me. Um, that it's, I guess it's difficult that I, I don't see that kind of potential. I'm really impressed with people who do. When I, in fact, some of the kind of photo illustrators and people are really amazing composite artists. When I see the stuff they create that doesn't exist, but came completely out of their mind and looks like a photograph. And yet I know that, you know, there was 
that you know that scene does not exist anywhere in the universe i'm super impressed by that mm-hmm. um so that that kind of thing is hard for me and uh, i gravitate more towards what's easier which is going okay what do i remember what was when i was there now we could talk about you know the subjectivity of memory and how accurate is my memory and am i portraying something that somebody else would have seen had they been there at the same time um but at least i'm working off of things I witness, not something that I made up in my head. Hey, I just want to pause real quick and tell you about the sponsor for today's episode, and that's visualwilderness.com. You can go to visualwilderness.com get tons of resources on how you can improve your landscape photography, articles, blog posts, things like courses and video content that you can get if you have a membership there. If you want a link to how to get a membership to visualwilderness.com and access all of that photo goodness for free with your membership, you can go to davidjohnstonart.com slash podcast slash bagshaw and find all of the links on how to do that. Also, you can get links to all of my courses that are on visualwilderness.com that are gonna take you through the post-processing of your landscape photography to help you understand post-processing better and how to create better photos through that art that is the digital darkroom. You can find those links also on the show notes for today's podcast at davidjohnsonart.com slash podcast slash Bagshaw. And just as a thank you to you guys for listening to the podcast, you can use the code David33 for a limited time to get my courses for 33% off. Again, that's David33 during checkout for a limited time to get 33% off. Let's get back to the episode though. You've been all over the world photographing places from your backyard. You were just talking about photographing tree bark uh, in your own backyard, finding details in that and creating compositions out of smaller scenes. But you've also been all over the world traveling to these places. And what you see with the photography community right now, is there a risk of over-visiting locations? Yeah, that is a, a topic that's coming up a lot in the photography community these days. And I'm glad we're having that conversation. I think overvisitation really is uh, a problem in landscape photography and travel photography. I mean, the world is getting crowded. We've got, I think we're up around 8 billion people now. So overvisitation isn't a photography only thing. I mean, Everywhere I go, I see tourists and people and crowding, and it's not all photographers. Um, So in that respect, it's just kind of a bigger problem. But the photography element of over-visitation, I think, is that, for example, the general tourist crowd or uh, travelers go to certain destinations. Um, for example, if you go to New York City or if you go to Paris or if you go to the national parks, those are set up for tourism and for large number of visitors. And that infrastructure is there. Photographers historically would go to, let's say, a national park. And instead of maybe, you know, 
looking at the waterfall from the established viewpoint, which is paved and has a paved pathway to it in a parking lot, might hike uh, into a waterfall somewhere that was, um, you know, a little more remote, saw fewer visitors. And if one or two photographers hiked up a dirt trail or maybe went off trail into, you know, backcountry, a place where there wasn't any trail, uh, a couple photographers doing that, probably not too much of a problem. But now what we're, what I'm seeing, and I think a lot of us are seeing is that these locations that used to see one or two photographers or adventurers every once in a while are now seeing the kind of traffic and tourism through photography that places that are, you know, designed and intended for that kind of visitation while these places aren't. And so that kind of over visitation, you know, it's, things are getting trampled and destroyed and vandalized. And, um, and also um, just, it's not a peaceful outdoor wilderness experience anymore. So yeah, that is, a, that is a problem. Um, so being aware of that and kind of one of the things I'm, tr- I do now, cause that's really not an interesting, um, it's not a fun experience for me to just go to places that are crowded and overvisited and trampled and, and damaged uh, is I'm specifically going to places that are either harder to get to or aren't on that kind of uh, circuit of places that you got to go. If you're a photographer, you know, the bucket list places. What about you? What do you think? Are you seeing the same thing? You know, I, I see the same thing. Uh, and a lot of what you say rings true back to me. Uh, I spend a lot of times in, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. It's the most visited national park in the United States. So you have tons of crowds coming through there, but typically they are remaining on those popular hikes. Uh, Even if they are difficult hikes, a lot of people still go up to those and and hike those. Uh, Alum Cave Trail is is one of the, you know, most popular one in the Smokies just because it's right outside of Gatlinburg and it's easy to get to. Difficult hike, Uh, but you can turn around whenever you want to. So people like to go just to say, you know, we hiked the loom cave or getting up to hike part of the Appalachian trail, uh, is another one that people can easily get up to, you know, going up to newfound gap or something like that. But there are parts of the park that aren't set up for that, uh, that the outskirts of the park that are away from the main highway that splits down the middle of Tennessee and North Carolina. And, you know, I've gotten to the point when talking about those locations, uh, I won't mention even a general area of where they are, not because uh, I'm trying to keep it to myself or keep it, you know, away from anybody else, or it's like my location or personal place that I go to but because it simply just can't handle the foot traffic. Um, it, it can't handle that many boots on the ground. And what I've started to do is I'll show a, an image of it, maybe if I want to, but I won't even talk about that it's in that park or that it's in that state, uh, depending on what location I'm showing or talking about just because if somebody asks me about that location, I don't want to be tempted to give it up in regards to what might happen to it down the road. Because once one person tweets about it, shares it on Instagram, on Facebook, 
we have the power now, what we have with social media is to get it out to thousands of people at one time. You know, even if you do have linked accounts, let's say you have a thousand followers on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever you want to talk about with social media right now. If you have a thousand on each one of those, you instantly just shared that location with 5,000 people who may not know the fragility of a landscape, um, how their how their actions might implicate what that looks like in the future. Absolutely, yeah, and and that's uh, that's a big part of the challenge. I think you know when things start getting shared like that, and I think just the way the human brain works, human psychology is, is that you see something enough times, and um, that becomes then kind of personalized or internalized. And I think we're drawn to go uh, see those places. I mean, that's why we, when we go to, you know, Manhattan, people go to look at the Empire State Building. When people go to um, Yosemite, they want to see Half Dome and El Capitan and Yosemite Falls and all those places um, because those are, you know, part, are part of people because they've seen them so many times. Um, Just like when you, um, you know, people want to go see Hamilton on Broadway because, yeah. you know, that's become internalized and part of the the culture and part of, uh, you know, what's in our makeup. And so I think that, you know, nature, places in nature and places in the landscape aren't any different than that. And so that's the problem. When we see these things over and over and over again, same place and location, and we know where they are, then we're more likely to go to that place specifically for that purpose, or if we're in the area to take a side trip because, oh, we're so close, we should go see this thing uh, that we've heard so much about. So I think you're, you know, what you're talking about, and I think that's a lot of what the the nature's first movement, uh, a, a, an element of that is, is, um, you know, at least the, the images may be out there, um, but if where those are taken exactly or if the, the ease of, of getting there um, for the masses isn't as obvious, um, that might help. You know, it's just that normal human psychology of, oh, we got to go check that out, you know, while we're here. Yeah, and, and we're a global community, too. So we have to have the, the mindset of technically, if you think about it in in global mindset, there are ambassadors set in place all over the globe in different countries that represent that country. So if we share an image, we are technically acting as an ambassador for that place that we went and photographed. And if we do want to keep it up, we do want to keep that location uh, pristine. If we do want to educate people on how to responsibly visit that, I think we need to start adding that into social media and what we're sharing or if you have an email blast to your followers or if you don't do photography as a business and you just like social media and sharing it on on those platforms you know don't just have a caption that's like fall is here leaf emoji uh have something that's more like (laughs) you know this is a location i visited in fall blah 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 you can tell the story of how you went there at the bottom or at the top you know share something that educates somebody about 
what that location is, what makes it special. You know, I, I see a lot of, um, I know, uh, Kurt Budliger has, has kind of gotten some flack on this on, on Facebook because they have like those stacked rocks. Have you ever seen those like in rivers? Oh yeah. The cairns that people stack up. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, t- <laughs> there are tons of those in the Smokies. And I think w- what people don't realize is that there's a very endangered salamander that lives in the Smokies creeks. And that's like one of the only places that it lives And when you take those rocks, a lot of times you're taking the very small eggs that it lays up under those rocks, those flat rocks that people used to stack, and you're putting them outside of water that kills all of those eggs. So it's, it's little things like that, that, that people I think need to think about and and also educate other people about when they do go into these locations. Um, and I was talking about Flack because he shared a video. I, it was like years ago and he was like kicking them all over. And I got a huge kick out of it because, you know, that's kind of my first inclination when I go visit those too. Yeah, no, I, I saw that too. And I'm in full support. I mean, obviously the, the direct ecological uh, damage, like you point out with the salamander situation and plenty of other stuff like that, uh, would be the primary reasons, but I would even say just for me, the idea, again, this is human psychology that we want to put our mark on everything. You know, we want to go into the wilderness and show that we've been there and that's, you know, comes carving on trees or, um, you know, putting your tire tracks all over some untracked part of, uh, the playa or, um, stacking rocks to say, yeah, I was here and there's my rock stack to prove it. <laughs> but all those things, make it not natural, you know, and we have plenty of places on the planet we can go where, you know, the, the, um, the presence of humans is all too obvious. So I like to be able to go to places where, um, you know, I can't even tell that humans have been there. And as soon as I come across something where somebody's kind of shouting out to me, like, Hey, I don't know you, but I just want you to know I was here. (laughs) That bugs me. Yeah. To me, that's presumptuous and intrusive. I get that it's a primal, like, you know, look back at explorers way back, you know, came in and colonizing and, and, you know, the destructive history of that. But it's almost like this primal way that people want to mark their territory, I guess, for lack of a better term. But I think there are positive ways we can mark our territory too, in that responsibly sharing locations, educating people and and so forth with that. But I think a lot, one of the other things that I think needs to be brought into this is um, also scouting for locations. How are we responsibly scouting these places out? And, And that's one of the things that I had written down that I wanted to ask you is going through the process of, okay, these are endangered lands or public lands, national parks. Uh, they're fragile. How do we go about scouting places like that responsibly when it's maybe our first time visiting there? Because a lot of people go into national parks never going there at all, and they do want to find you know, their own little nook of the national park. Yeah, I think there are just some basic ways, and and this gets 
to nature's first and the leave no trace. I mean, there's ways to travel in the wilderness with the least amount of impact possible. And I just try to always follow that, you know, wherever I am. Um, you know, so if I can avoid stepping on anything that's fragile, whether it's plant life, that's, um, you know, not going to hold up to my, my foot on it or, you know, cryptobiotic soil or, um, things, you know, where there's going to be erosion or it's going to leave footprints that last for a long time. I try to be really careful about where I step. Um, you know, if I can walk on sand or rock or, you know, compacted soil, <laughs> Uh, or a trail, you know, if there's a trail, obviously, um, and staying on the trail, if it's in a place where being on the trail is appropriate, that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, being sensitive to and doing some edu you know, some research and getting educated before you go to a place. So what are the ecological factors, you know, wh where you are um, and where you're going? So be before you even get there, you kind of have an idea. Okay, so these are the kinds of places that I'm going to avoid. I've never been here before, but I already know don't walk on this stuff or I already know this particular plant is endangered. And so if I step on that, I'm just contributing to its, its challenge of <laughs> survival, surviving. Um, or I already know that there are not that I would stack rocks anyways, but there are, you know, salamanders in these creeks that I'm visiting that if I mess with the rocks, I'm damaging, you know, I'm damaging their, their, uh, uh, you know, their population. So I guess all that's part of the responsibility of it. But then there's a lot of it, like I said, that's just, once you learn it once, it applies everywhere you go and just, just always behave in that manner. And I guess if you're not sure, err on the side of being uh, careful and cautious. When you started in, in photography, like you shot film and even getting into the, the, the intro of DSLRs and, and even, I mean, we can, mirrorless cameras, stuff like that. Did you see this becoming kind of a problem uh, in landscape photography, outdoor photography? You mean the popularity of it and how many people are out there? And the kind of destruction of some of these locations? You know, I, I don't think I did. Um, Why is that though, do you think? Boy, well, I think... Part of it is growing up, you know, because I grew up here in the Northwest and uh, in the in the 70s and 80s in the Northwest, we were still coming off of that kind of westward expansion idea and that, um, that the world was pretty much kind of limitless and the resources were limitless and all this territory out here in the West was just waiting for us to explore and tame it. <laughs> and even though I grew up in kind of a hippie family and we were very environmentally conscious, I just don't think it was in the, the, the general uh, uh, consciousness of, of anyone that, um, you know, that, that, that kind that eventually there would be enough people and there'd be enough people interested in going to, this, these kinds of places that it would ever be a problem. I think we just felt like, oh, that, that'll never get to that point. Um, so, and I think there was also a certain um, spirit of, yeah, going out. I think you mentioned it earlier and, you know, conquering, conquering the frontier, conquering the wilderness, uh, putting your mark on it. And even though I don't think I ever um, 
really identified with those ideas. They were so common and pervasive. I don't think I questioned them either. So yeah, photographers for me were always kind of, again, probably in the 80s and 90s, photographers were kind of this fringe group of people that adventured and went off and into the landscape as landscape photographers to find these places, but there were never going to be enough of them that it would ever be a problem. And so in the last decade or so, when I've really realized how far it's gone, um, yeah, it's been a surprise. I mean, even I graduated college in 2010. Uh, that's really showing how young I am, I guess, and, and maybe <laughs> how, how inexperienced old, I am. How old I am. <laughs> <laughs> but like, even when I graduated college and I started getting into landscape photography and like going out and camping and hiking and, and even backpacking on, on a couple day trips, but it, it wasn't even that popular then. It's been almost like within the past two, three, four years that this has like skyrocketed. Yeah, it's. I think it, we're, we're we're seeing exponential growth, and I don't know how long that'll continue. But um, yeah, it, uh, you know the the curve has gotten steeper and and steeper quickly in the last few years. So I agree with that. You know, one of the things, and I do want to wrap up on this question is, um, I actually I actually saw it asked by Sarah Marino on Nature Photographers Network on a question and answer session that you did on there, which was a really good read, by the way. And going through those questions, she asked, your contribution to Photo Cascadia and, and all of that and all of the writers that contribute to that website, uh, amazing photographers, how has that contributed or helped you throughout your photography career? Oh, well, it's been... Uh, it's been huge on uh, so many factors. I mean, the, the people in that group are, um, you know, my, my dearest friends. And, uh, we also, I think you've got, we're really lucky that 10 years ago when that group first got put together, that, um, we're all very like-minded and, um, just kind of low, uh, what's, uh, it's a great group. Uh, professionally, it's great because we, uh, you know, have a body of work together, both with foot, uh, photography and with what uh, we do in our writing and as well as what we're able to offer in terms of uh, photo photography education and workshops and tours and things like that. Um, so it's it's great professional, even though Photo Cascadia itself isn't a business of itself. Um, it's mm -hmm. just, you know, it's kind of like a clearinghouse or a place that we can all our seven separate businesses can come together. Um, so that's been great. But I would say for me, the most important part of Photo Cascadia and the thing that's meant the most to me is just knowing those people um, and having them as like-minded um, friends and colleagues who we support each other, we work together, we collaborate, we bounce ideas back and forth. I think having people like that, uh, just in life in general, but I think in photography, uh, is, is really great. And I guess what I was going to say too, is that we're, we're not internally competitive and we're actually not that externally competitive either. Um, and which is why I think we work together. We're very much into helping each other, sharing, uh, 
with each other, supporting each other, and also doing that and kind of spreading that out to the rest of the photographic community. Um, and so, yeah, just having that, I, I would, if anyone else, if you have an opportunity to find a group or a tribe or a, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, that you can have that kind of connection with, with other people, don't hesitate. I see a lot of people, um, and I think this is more a thing in the past. I think the community, and maybe this is a good um, outcome of the internet, is I see more people collaborating and sharing and, and um, you know, cross-pollinating and doing all that kind of stuff, supporting each other. But I do see and have seen in the past in photography people that are very insular, very uh, kind of re re removed, want to just work on their own and not interact with other people kind of almost in a competitive way. And, uh, for me, having a, a group has been amazing. Who, who's like the prankster of the group. There's gotta be somebody that when y'all all get together, you know, <laughs> they're up to something. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, everyone, you know, there, there's all different personalities. I would say Kevin McNeil is definitely the, uh, he's he's just kind of got this great sense of humor and he's very um self-deprecating he's always getting himself into various um scenarios and situations and anyone out there listening who has heard kevin mcneil's story know what i'm talking about but he's so good humored about it and so low ego and uh and, and he's just hilarious. So every time we get together, Kevin has stories that he tells us and we end up just rolling on the floor hearing his, his stories of what hijinks he's gotten into. Um, so Kevin's, he's probably the, the, the one that gets us laughing more than anyone else. We're going to have to have him on the podcast. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on, uh, sharing your thoughts and ideas about not only creativity, but, but location sharing, uh, over visiting locations and then even scouting locations and, and how do you get out to those places? Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, this is great. This has, um, been a, a little bit different, um, pathway or tangent of, of conversation than we've done before. So that was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. We didn't ask any of the uh, usual composition questions. <laughs> composition and, and lens lens selection. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which those are good questions too, but. <laughs> That's right. Thanks so much, man. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>